Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hey, Catherine. Well, hello, Jim. How are you doing? How many cookies today? So I made cookies this weekend and I ate them all already. Although I did save some dough and I have it in the fridge. So I could have some like frozen dough, but I guess the answer to your question is I haven't had any cookies today. You're not dealing with the flour shortage? I haven't encountered the flour shortage. Mm. Where are these people going? I don't know. We should ask Amanda about that because it seems like everyone's baking, but I'm also hearing that flour is more valuable than gold. Yeah. It's the things you take for granted, you know? Like flour? Like hand sanitizer and flour. Do you want to know a sad story about hand sanitizer? Yes. <laughs> I So at the beginning of this, you know, a hand sanitizer was like nowhere to be found. You couldn't find it. It didn't exist. And I went to the hardware store and they had it. And I got this like box of Purell. It was $20. I remember this. And I've had it the whole time. So the thing is, the box is designed to go in like a soap dispenser. Oh, right. It's like a clinical hand sanitizer. It's like a plastic bag with this strange tube coming out of it. Yeah. And I can't figure out how to get the hand sanitizer out. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the kind that they mount on the wall in doctor's offices where you... Right. Yeah. And it's like, I'm holding it right here. It just has a weird rubber tube on the end and a plastic thing. And I like, I'm like, do I just rip this off (laughs) like how do i get in there you need a dispenser well why can't i do something with my hands i don't know you could probably cut it open well i could cut it open sure but then it would like go everywhere right right is there any way that i can do you know this it has like the rubber tube and then it has oh yeah yeah i know yeah it's a refill for a dispenser it's not a dispenser itself Well, how do i get surely like what does the dispenser do it makes it foam up, you know? I don't know. However, like, foaming soaps and, like, they turn that liquid into foam in your hand. We should get an expert on the phone. We should. Let's call um, Steve Perel. Perel. He calls it Purell, but his name is Perel because he wants the anonymity. Um, founder of the company. No, that's not what we're doing today. Although our guest may actually have an answer to this question. What we're actually talking about today is vaccines. There was this story that, I I don't know, it was like, there's a vaccine that shows promising early results. You know, it's, um, they gave it to some human beings and it seems like it's working. (laughs) Um, Well, what happened was just eight people showed that they only had mild symptoms as a result of getting this vaccine. And they generated antibodies, but we don't know that they're protected. It's not a bad finding, but it doesn't mean we have a vaccine upon us. It means a small group of people was not harmed by an initial trial. Here's where I was. I was like, I've given up on a vaccine being a thing that's anywhere in our near term. But then you hear stories like this and you're like, well, does that mean we could get a vaccine like is this wait a going minute. well i heard a year into... and a half and now what it's here exactly it's like wait it's we we have one it's operation warp speed we're gonna get it by the end of the year what so i was wondering does this mean you know 
Does this change anything? Yeah, it does not change a thing. It's the kind of incremental development that would normally be of interest to no one. But everyone's following this story at such a granular level. Right. You know, I mean, most vaccines out there have some sort of adverse event rate of like one in a million. And that is enough to really scare a lot of people off of them. It shouldn't be, but it does. And here we just have eight people who did fine. We don't know that they're protected. We don't know that this is going to be safe at a scalable level, but it's an early piece of promising data. One thing that I think is confusing to me, because when I hear stories like this, I can't tell if it's meaningful or what it means, because I don't actually understand the process of how vaccines are developed. Like, is this just like one of the the thousand steps you have to go through? Or is this surprising in some way? You know, um, so I don't actually understand how vaccines are developed on any sort of granular level. Right. Like, how do you go from this tiny prototype thing in eight people where they didn't seem to be harmed to... right? A billion people with a needle in their arm. Right. And then they're going to the club and just partying down with abandon. Is that what you'll be doing? Uh, Whatever people do, you know. um, But that is a sort of technical process that could go a few different ways depending on our capacity for our willingness to see if you, your willingness to incur risk, like... We can play it real safe right? and do it real slow, but lots of people are dying every day of this disease, so there are interesting incentives right now to take risks that usually vaccine development people wouldn't take. Such as what? Well, there's this idea that is being discussed in vaccine circles of, of human challenge trials, which we've done for some other viruses, but are not being done right now for this coronavirus. And they involve giving people one of these test vaccines and then purposefully exposing them in a standardized way to the virus. So usually you would do what instead of that? Like a lot more, there would be a lot of steps before you actually? Yeah. Well, when you have a disease like this, you have to get a huge number of people with the test vaccine and then see what percentage get sick and what percentage don't. But you don't really know who was actually exposed. You know, how many of those people who Mm -hmm. didn't get sick just didn't get sick because they were staying at home with their huge Mm -hmm. bag of Purell. Like to to have the best possible data, you have to kind of like just in a standardized way, give everyone the exact same exposure to the same virus and see how many of the people who got the vaccine were protected versus people who didn't. So a challenge trial would speed that up because it's like, well, we know exactly who was exposed. Right. And you could say 70% of the people who got the vaccine um, were protected and 30% of them got sick. And the problem is that would mean people got sick. And with a disease like this, potentially even people died or or had lasting complications. And so there's obviously a big ethical dilemma there. But it could theoretically really speed up this process and and make it more scientifically valid more quickly. Yeah. So it's not happening right now, but some people are proposing that it should. So the question is like, should we do that? And what would that look like? Yeah. I mean, exactly how do you think we should test the vaccine for safety? Right. And how much risk are you willing to incur to speed that process up? Right. And would you be willing to take a vaccine, say... 
if people project that this disease is going to be bad in the fall, should we try to speed things up and maybe get something to market as quickly as possible versus just waiting until we're more sure of something and it taking you know, right. two years. And even then you might not be totally certain about exactly how effective it is. Right. So you know somebody who's actually thought through this stuff? Yeah, and so do you. Stephen <laughs> Thomas is the chief of infectious disease at SUNY Upstate Medical University. We talked to him on March 12th in our fifth episode. And um, he has done challenge trials. That was so long ago. I've aged 12 years in that time. Yeah. But remember, he was the guy who spent 20 years planning for emergencies with the, you know, in the, in, in the military. And now it, it was leading the, what was it, the response unit, medical Yeah, yeah. Incident period. command. Incident he, Yes. He's the incident commander for this big hospital system. And his whole career has been about risk assessment and <laughs> planning and long-term risk-benefit analysis. Has he worked on vaccine development specifically? Yeah, he has. As an infectious disease doctor, that has been his focus, working on researching vaccines and specifically with challenge trials with with dengue, which is a mosquito-borne illness for which the disease burden has been high enough that they have done human challenge trials. Mm Mm-hmm. But in things like Zika Mm -hmm. and MERS, the other most recent coronavirus, before this one, they didn't do it. Okay. So I'd like to know where we stand right now on human challenge trials for COVID-19. I personally don't know how to think about it. Me neither. Let's give them a call. Hi, good morning, everyone. Dr. Thomas. Tim, how are you? Uh, Good. Good to hear from you. Likewise, likewise. We talked to you probably two months ago now, right? At least. Yeah, no, you're right. We had just had our uh, our first diagnosed case of COVID up here. And now we're, yeah, now we're two months later. Time flies. So I know you've been corresponding with Jim since then, but I haven't really heard. Could Could you tell me how it's gone? I mean, I think at the time we talked, you were preparing for a surge and you were really worried. Did you get that surge? Um, no, what we had was, and we continued to have just sort of a very steady, you know, anywhere between 20 to 30 new cases every day, mm-hmm. kind of puttering along. You know, we were probably 10 days ahead of downstate in terms of widespread transmission and identifying our first case. So we were able to put a lot of processes in place to try and, you know, what I was calling kind of protect the castle. So the big concern that we had was that we were going to have really sick people plus not so sick people plus worried people all descend onto our emergency department. And we were going to get this mixing bowl of COVID infected, non-infected staff then getting infected. Right. Which has happened in many other places. It has. So you were able to get the PPE you needed? Well, you know, because we've been hearing all these stories, yeah. you know, the, the supply chain is still broken. But, you know, you got to remember, I'm, a, I'm an infectious disease nerd. And so I was watching. <laughs> I'm always yeah. watching on what's going on. And so I was I was looking back with the logistics guys. We placed our first order of PPE in very early January. And mm. um, yeah, oh, it, so you were watching it. Oh, yeah. That early. 
And you were like, this is going to hit us and we need to get supplies. I was just remembering Ebola and, you know, here it was only, you know, 10,000, 15,000, you know, cases in West Africa. We only had a couple of cases in the U.S. and you couldn't get a Tyvek suit. You couldn't get a papper. You couldn't get anything, right? I mean, DuPont was was sold out and I I did not want to be in that position. So, so because you have this experience, both in kind of planning for pandemics and in actually dealing with them, you were, you, you like saw ahead, basically, even though lots of places were kind of relying on messaging from the government that was late. Yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, I always kind of feel like you're on your own. <laughs> and You have to take, yeah, right. You got to take care of your, yourself. You know, I would um, tell the, the team here that, you know, the cavalry is not coming. And we have to, yeah. right, we have to get our own PPE, we have to put our own processes in place, we got to use our own expertise, we have to come up with our own systems, and um, we have to be creative and innovative and engineer solutions that may not right. be, you know, available, because if you wait for others to solve your problem, then uh, it's just not going to happen, which of course is what we've seen in certain parts of the country. Well, this is, I, I have, my, my whole life has been waiting for other people to fix my problems. I'm going to have to change things up. The answer is then we just should have uh, at the head of every hospital system around the country, someone with 20 years of military planning experience for catastrophes. Right. Well. That sounds doable. <laughs> sure. You, yeah. There you go. So between the healthcare system's capacity and in, in testing included in that and contact tracing and PPE supplies. Um, the other thing that people keep coming back to is vaccination. And we we wanted to talk about challenge trials. Yeah, People are trying to, I guess, think outside the box right now, given we're sort of in many ways behind the ball on infrastructure for global vaccine development. And so what is a challenge trial? And should we do it? <laughs> yeah, so um, this is where we give a healthy human being a mild form of the disease that we are trying to study so that we can hasten the development of, of a countermeasure or a drug or a vaccine, or we can fill in some you know, important critical gap in information that we are not able to fill using standard kind of benchtop science or small animals like rats and mice. You know, challenge trials have been around for well over a hundred years and multiple diseases use challenge trials to support their development. And, and each disease has particular reasons why human challenge makes sense. So a challenge trial is where you vaccinate someone and then you expose them deliberately to the virus to see if they get it. Is that right? So that's the second step. The first step is exposure without the vaccine. So the Got first it. step, so they just yeah. go, you know, go about their life and you see if they get it. Correct. Got it. And the reason that this is sort of like, I, I can imagine how it's both scientifically useful and also a little ethically complicated. You're spot on. It is highly ethically complex. And so... You have people who have volunteered to get sick, to be infected. 
how do you navigate that space about how someone can really consent to that and who is willing and why would they be willing to go through that? There needs to be what we call democratic deliberation. (laughs) So there really needs to be consensus among interested and disinterested parties to include physicians and scientists and ethicists and regulators that the disease that you're talking about, that it is appropriate to do human challenge with that particular disease. And there's, you can imagine what some of the criteria might be, right? So you're not going to do, you're not going to have a human challenge model for something which is a chronic incurable disease. You're not going to have a human challenge trial where the risk to the individual is unacceptably high, and that's a whole discussion in and of itself. You're not going to have a human challenge model where the risk to others, not just the person who volunteers, but other people is uh, unacceptably high. You know, one of the things that we have to think about with malaria challenge trials or dengue challenge trials is if there is a mosquito in the environment where this challenge trial is occurring, is it possible that the person could get injected with the virus, walk outside, have a mosquito feed on that person. And then now that mosquito can cause a dengue outbreak or a malaria outbreak in in wherever they are. And so then you propose to the ethical review committees and you propose to the FDA a plan. And part of that plan is the informed consent process where you explain to the potential volunteers what the risks are, and what the benefits are. And oftentimes, the only benefit is that they will be advancing science and that they might be able, through their sacrifice, to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, And the other thing is it's about timing, right? So why do we need to make people sick? We have tons of people who are yeah, sick. Yeah, can't we or, just study mm-hmm. some people who've clearly been exposed or at high risk? And Well, the, the issue is with a vaccine, you have to get to people who are at risk of infection but have not yet been infected. And you have to then vaccinate those people and then follow mm-hmm. them to see who gets infected and who doesn't and who has sickness and who doesn't. So you got to, the fastest way to do this is deliberate exposure. Yeah. It sounds like. I mean, do, do you think it's likely that this global pandemic will create the necessary urgency to make whatever risks worth it? Right. Do you think a challenge trial is going to happen? Yeah, or just no? give us your take. <laughs> to me, there are too many unanswered questions about how we would actually do them for me personally. Uh, yeah. Sign on. I, I absolutely think it should be thought about and it should be discussed. You know, I think that challenge trials can be in the right circumstances and under the right conditions can be incredibly valuable. You know, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, not just because I do challenge trials, but I have volunteered for a challenge trial. I was, oh, yeah. What'd you oh, get? Yeah, malaria. So I was an infectious disease fellow at the time, and I I knew what I was going to do with my life. And I said, you know what, someday you're going to have to (laughs) say that you stepped up and actually did what you're asking other people to do. How did they expose you? Like, what was the... Yeah, so I got three vaccinations over a period of weeks, and then uh, they waited for a month. And then I came back in, and they had 
five malaria infected very hungry starving mosquitoes in a uh, in a little cup oh <laughs> with a screen on top of it and i put my arm on the top of the cup and uh, the mosquitoes um came up and they they fed on my blood and then um they took the mosquitoes and they they take the salivary glands out of the mosquitoes each of the five mosquitoes and they confirmed that each of them five mosquitoes had malaria. Were you protected? Did you did the vaccine work or no? Matter of fact, it did. Well, that's so. Just I guess I imagined like there would be some highly scientific process, you know, some sort of tech heavy process. But it's like no, we just take malaria infected mosquitoes and have them bite you. Well, this is a great point that you raised because. Ideally, you would want to deliver the virus the same exact way that somebody would be exposed in oh, no. immunity. So in COVID-19, would people be coughed on? Well, so that's, that is one of the questions. How are you going to deliver oh, that would virus, right? Awesome. Yeah, right, right. Huh. So it sounds really ethically dubious and like it would be tough to do, but maybe you should just, to, to be clear, if we did this, potentially it could mean a faster development of a vaccine that could be that could ultimately save many lives thousands of lives how how much faster how much time do you save by going straight to a challenge trial yeah say it worked really well if it worked really well and the fda believed that it worked really well and the fda said listen we will give you a license um, and allow you to sell your vaccine based on challenge data alone yeah then you know i i think that's one of the scenarios where we potentially could meet this sort of warp speed, <laughs> you know, benchmark that has been the one year that's been put out there. Um, is that the warp speed benchmark or shorter? No warp speed, I think is, I'm no physicist, but it sounds really fast. Um, uh, I think it would be back in time. Actually, yeah. <laughs> we developed it in 1980. Yeah. This never happened. No, I th- like, I, the pandemic never happened. Yeah. What, if, what, if we go faster. <laughs> what are we doing with this vaccine? Um, no, what I recall is that the uh, warp speed was something by the end of the year. Okay. Right. Um, okay. So this is a major decision. This is a big thing, and yet you know you're not sure that it should happen. I'm sure the I'm conversation sure. should happen. And I imagine even if we did challenge trials, it's not guaranteed. A lot of other things would have to go really, really right for us to have a vaccine widely available by the end of the year. I, that's correct. You know, is it possible that we could be on the doorstep of having a vaccine by the end of the year? Um, Sure, it's possible. Is it likely? No, but is it possible? It is. But I'll tell you, there's right. a lot of <laughs> a lot of open boxes that you have to check between right. now and yeah. and then. So, well, Catherine has a very logistical question about a box that she got at a hardware store. Oh, really? Well, can I ask you? <laughs> this is clearly not a good use of your time, but I'm going to do I'm it anyway because. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so here's my dilemma. Jim was not able to help me with no, this. No, I was, um, I, but and he is. <clears throat> I was very helpful. No, you weren't. Um, so here's the deal. You know how you can't get hand sanitizer anywhere? At the beginning of this whole two months ago, around the time we talked, I went, in, um, I went into a hardware store, and I found, miraculously, Purell. Nice. It was $20 a box, Oof. and I bought it. Okay. I have had this box of Purell sitting here, for two months and here's the thing she doesn't leave the house. i can't figure out how to open it 
because it's the kind that's designed to go in like dispensers. Oh, are you familiar <laughs> just like at the hospital? Type? You know, like when yes. you're going in and out of rooms. Yes. Yes. Do you have any advice? It's it's a plastic bag filled with Purell, and then it has this like tube on the end. It's like um, it's like what's inside a box of wine. It's a bladder. <laughs> yes, I have a bladder. Of, you have a bladder of bladder Purell. Of Purell. A bladder of Purell that <laughs> that I cannot figure out how to get open. Other than like my only idea is like, oh, I could just like cut it and then hope like over a bowl and like hope it doesn't explode. Anyway. Is there a but trick? It needs is there to like a foamed. doctor trick to? Does it? I don't think it so. Ne- no, those machines convert it from a liquid to a foam, right? You are correct. I. Oh no. I think uh-huh. what you have is a very nice piece of memorabilia from the <laughs> no, my 20, God, no! <laughs> 2020 <laughs> pandemic that you that you lived through. <laughs> I mean, it must be so frustrating. You just stare at it longingly. I yes, I'm, I've like injured myself trying to like oh, no. press on the plastic thing, trying to get it. <sighs> um, thank you so much for all of the all the info on challenge trials. There's a lot to think about. Uh, Absolutely, not you've a clear answer, deep. I guess, but no. we'll keep an eye on it. You've taken a big. Yeah. Uh, you've taken on a big topic. Well, because people keep talking about a vaccine, and like the, in the in most of the news, the only question you get is, "What's the timeline? What's the timeline? What's the timeline?" And we really need to understand like what's going into this timeline, and this is uh, yeah. going to be before us, especially if things get are stay bad this summer. It sounds like if we have another hundred thousand people dead in, in in the next three months, just like we had in this three months, then people are treating this problem totally differently than if things continue to get better. And yeah, which is why yeah. I would advocate talking about it very seriously right now. And th- and they may be, the government. Which we're doing, semi-seriously. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Th- we are. <laughs> thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's good talking Dr. to you guys. Thomas and uh, hopefully to talk to you again down the road. Thank you. All right. Take care of yourself. See ya. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. I'm in denial about my Purell. I think I'm going to slice open the bag. Mm. Let me take care of this for you. <laughs> I don't want a dispenser. Like that's just well, then another... I think you should donate it to a hospital. That's a great idea. I'll do that. I mean, unless you have like a foaming hand soap thing, you could put in that when it runs out. No. Oh, go get some foaming hand soap. And then when you're done with it, pour your Purell in there and it'll work. Are hospitals still having shortages of stuff like Purell? I don't know that that was ever a thing. I think um, places that need yeah. hand sanitizer have been able to get it. It's just the individual market that has been hit hard. Okay, so it's not like I should waste their time calling them, being like, I have two <laughs> small boxes of Purell. Where could I drop that off? I don't think so. I think this is fine. I like actually my idea better now. Get a foaming dispenser. Next time you're on your you know, voyage outside of your apartment. Yeah, my bi-weekly voyage outside. Get a little foaming soap dispenser and then when you're done uh-huh. with it or pour it into something else and then And then slice the bag open. Yeah, and then slice pour the bag open the... and use it and yeah, pour it in there. You just need any device that can take a liquid and turn it into a foam. Okay. It's and this will be your version of a challenge trial in that it is <laughs> a challenge and you're trying something. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, why don't you do the credits today? Oh, we should also say, by the way, just, um, we're still doing three days a week. We have heard and appreciate everyone who's written in. We're figuring out, you know, if there's any way we can keep doing daily. But in the meantime, thanks for sticking with us and for all of your lovely notes and ideas and 
we appreciate you continuing to listen. Okay, now you can do the credits. Okay. Um, this show was produced by Kevin Townsend with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. Please subscribe to The Atlantic at theatlantic.com forward slash support us. Bye. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.